Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I'm your host, Dr. Avian Banish, and I'm excited today to chat with Dr. Irina Mihaescu. Um, she is a psychiatrist practicing in Canada. She is really interested in physician well-being, and she is the founder um, for the Center of Physician Wellness. And she, I believe, is a fellow mystic, and so I think we'll have a lot in common and a lot to talk about. Irina, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So um, I wonder if you can just begin by telling us a little bit about your story and um, this intersection of being a practicing psychiatrist and uh, being interested in physician well-being. I'm kind of curious how you got to that intersection in your career. Yeah, I think I think I've never been um, a traditional physician in many ways, because even before I started medical school, I did my yoga teacher training. I was into mindfulness. And one of the reasons that I chose psychiatry was with the intent to kind of incorporate mindfulness and yoga and some of the more holistic aspects of health into medicine. And I felt that psychiatry was really something and um, a specialty where I could do that more easily than other specialties. So um you know, I never really felt like I fit into the medical circles. And I'm sure a lot of us have felt that in one way or another, um, because there was also this very soulful, compassionate, highly empathetic part of me. And I was always a very sensitive person. Um, oftentimes when I speak to patients, you know, images would come to me and I would just speak around the images. So I would give an example based on the images that I was seeing and that seemed to relate to my patients because they had grown up on a farm or they had had this experience that somehow I was having these images while I was conversing with them and it helped to drive home whatever medical point I was trying to make. So um, in in the middle of residency, I went through my own burnout journey. That was back in 2015. At that time, I mean, it's only eight years ago, if that. You know, it's not really that long. And but if you can believe it, even eight years ago, no one was talking about burnout, especially in the medical community. I was Googling things online, trying to figure out what was happening. Um, You know, I had young kids at home and all that. So I did my research on burnout in medicine. And then it kind of grew from there. My interest in physician health started with myself and how I can balance myself. And then at one point, I think, I don't know, a few years, I think it was 2018 or so, I had, um, I realized that I was the only female in my household. I have three young boys and then my husband. And and it just sort of hit me, like, if I'm going to prioritize any kind of feminine energy or any kind of like soulful parts of me, like I'm the only person in this household who will do that naturally in some way, because my boys were super active and very... um, just boys in some ways. Right. And so, um, 
And so I took a um, course, an online course on the goddess and all the aspects of the goddess. I connected back to some of my roots of um, mysticism. And then it's kind of grown from there. And I realized that was sort of what I was missing. One of the key changing moments for me was um, reading the um, the heroine's journey. So I don't know if you're familiar with the hero's journey. Are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so instead of instead of just the hero's journey, I was reading the heroine's journey about a woman's path through life and the cycles and rhythms of her life. And one of the key things about a heroine's journey is that at some point you reach this sort of dry, arid, everything seems dull. There's no magic in life. There's no juiciness, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I can say that. Um, And that is really the pivotal point in a woman's life. It's not so much that, you know, you're struggling and then here comes the mentor like the hero's journey that leads you over the mountain and then you take off. The pivotal point for a women's journey is when everything seems monotonous, the joy is gone, it just feels dull and there's no juice. (laughs) And, um, And so I realized I was kind of at that point. And so, you know, I started my journey with cycles and rhythms and mysticism and it went from there to you know, many, many other things, including the clairs, understanding what the different clairs are, um, and refining my intuition just over time. So. Such a beautiful, such a beautiful journey. And I think so many women listening, um, that that moment of kind of dullness, I think is for women, just such a beautiful launching point for a lot of the exploration that you've done. I wonder, um, you know, in a, in a specialty like medicine where um, it's changing, but in the past, it's been kind of, um, I have always viewed it sort of like a box (laughs) and (laughs) intuition and all of these beautiful words that you're using are not really, um, I I think a lot of great physicians have always led with intuition, but it's never really been talked about. Can you just talk about integrating your experience with spirituality and mysticism into, into your work, what that's been like for you? Yeah. And I don't think there's ever going to be like a perfect integration Mm -hmm. um, or a perfectly balanced integration. I think it's a consistently evolving um, process and and I know I'm on the fringes of medicine in that way that um, I'm much more open-minded about things. And I think when I talk to physicians, because I work at the physician line as well, and I do a lot of physician health work, um, one of the things I focus on before we even get to intuition and sort of these woo-woo words is I focus on flexibility. Because to me, part of the journey starts with understanding that it's okay to be flexible, that it's okay to not be in the box, that it's okay that you don't know. And it's okay if, if things aren't as you had hoped they would be, or um, I don't know, I guess just as you expected them to be. (laughs) Um, So I often start with talking about flexibility and the way I integrate my intuition is 
by just using it myself. I do talk about it with some patients, not everybody, but I don't think that everything we do as physicians, as clinicians needs to be always advertised to our patients. As long as we know what we're doing and we know it's helpful and we also have good boundaries so that we don't blend. I think one of the hardest things for empaths in clinical medicine or intuit intuitives in clinical medicine is they tend to merge with their patients or they feel things. You know, I went for a massage yesterday. I have an amazing Thai massage therapist. <laughs> I love her so much. And I told her, because we've had many conversations over the years, and I told her, I'm like, I'm so sorry, Nikki, but today I'm vibrating. Like, I've just had one of those days. So I know you're going to touch me and feel all my stress and my vibrations. You're going to need to wipe it off. <laughs> so anyways, she started at my legs to try to ground me because my energy was up in my head and kind of, you know, outside my body just <laughs> for that moment. And immediately she said, oh, do you have a headache? I said, why do you feel my headache? She's like, yeah. So that then that's often the case for a lot of physicians too, you know, that really sense what happens in the patient's body. And if you don't know that, and you don't know that it's not yours, that it's the patient's, and you don't know how to leave yourself some room and some space so that you don't feel everything. I mean, we work in healthcare. There is so much suffering and pain. It can be completely debilitating, overwhelming, and I don't know, <laughs> soul yeah. sucking, you know, if you feel everything. So, I mean, that's how I went through my training and, um, and it does, it takes a while. I mean, and it's not right. There are, there are intuitives and empaths. Most of the people, this is not just a physician, a female physician audience that I have. And so I, you know, yeah. those empaths are in all helping professions and teachers and I mean, any walk of life. And so I think it's really valuable um, that heroin's journey, that understanding yourself and doing the work to know that sometimes you feel lousy and it's not even your stuff. I mean, that took me years to understand, you know, yeah. or why I seem to get sick more than other people. I always said I had like a layer missing. Like I never understood, you know, it took me a while to under, cause we're not taught this. I really, I really no. wish we were taught this as children. Um, and hopefully in the future that will change, but it is, it's a learning process and it's, um, and then it, it's, I feel like it's an ongoing negotiation. Like it's right. You, you know, you need massage, you need certain, certain modalities and time that will, um, that will bring you back into your body that will give you the space to allow you to feel what you feel. Yeah. I think one of the ways that I've really separated, I'm, I'm thinking now I'm, you know, imagining myself sitting in front of my patients and how I've learned to separate a little bit so that I don't get pulled into their world to the point where it overwhelms me and my systems is it sounds so simple, right? But it's a bit of space. It's it's a leaning back. And, and I'm not disconnecting emotionally or like in the connection, but it is a little bit of that. So it's not that I give 100%. I give 80%. And for me, it's it's a simple movement, right? Just I, I lean back and then I sort of visualize my energy just going halfway versus all the way in. And I work with some people who are really, really struggling, like the depression is really bad and they can't get out of bed and they can't do many things. And so I used to reach all the way in 
and bring them halfway. And now I found it's just as effective if I sort of lean back and, you know, energetically almost visualize myself going halfway between me and them. And I just stand there (laughs) energetically in some way and say, okay, meet me here. I'm here. And this might take you another few weeks, but that's okay. You're going to meet me here. But I don't reach all the way in anymore because it was too draining for my system, mm-hmm. especially if if I want to continue in this profession. Absolutely. Right. Um, what, you know, you educated yourself on what burnout was. That That term, I feel like, has quickly become saturated. And when <laughs> it's thrown around a lot, it, it almost means less. But can you explain what your definition of burnout is like if someone's listening and they they wonder if they are burned out how do you know i think i think i think it's different for everyone you know you say that it's funny i had a patient recently say like i think i have autistic burnout and i'm like is that different than regular burnout you know there's all these qualifiers to the burnout now um at the end of the day you know we have studies about what is burnout like on a scientific level but when you look at the human experience, it can it can vary. And, and to me, burnout just means that everything is coming at you all at once and you have nothing in you left to give. And that often exemplifies the emotional exhaustion, you know, burnout in the ICD codes for so that's the world health um, codes for illnesses. So before we had this like burnout category, the World Health Disease Codes, the ICD codes, had vital exhaustion. So that mm-hmm. was what it was known as. So your vitally, your vital energy, your vitality is exhausted. So that can mean you're emotionally exhausted. That can mean you're physically depleted, mentally depleted, you know, like the cognitive drain of always thinking through things, spiritually depleted, you know, for a lot of the work that I do, I just see a lot of spiritual depletion. And I just think that that's one of the quickest way to infuse some meaning and some vitality back into a person. It's not the only way, but we've separated so much from our spirituality and a greater sense of who we are that we become I don't know, just numb and depleted. There's no, there's no way. It's not as easy to refuel with mindset changes. It's not as easy to refuel with our day-to-day kind of life experiences right now. Even therapy, therapy takes a long time. So spirituality is a lifelong process as well. But if you learn some key practices, it's such an easy way to refuel. I, you know, I go to the bathroom, I take a deep breath, and then I sort of connect to this quantum soup, as I call it. It's my meditative space. <laughs> um, so it, it can just be as easy as one breath. I imagine it like an elevator every time I inhale. It's like a little elevator going into my heart. And then I expand and I stay there for even a few minutes and refuel and then go back to work. I can't get that from, you know. 10 seconds of therapy. Although I believe in therapy as well. I think that's really important. Yeah. I think that's, that goes along with your flexibility idea, right? Because you're not, um, there are, there's such a myriad of ways to refuel spiritually. 
And it's like, what is resonating with you? And what I also find in talking to a lot of people, clients and guests on this podcast is that I view spirit or energy like water rushing in. Like if, if you create an opening, if you create an intention, then it will show up. Like it it may show up different for me than it does for you, but it'll show up how we need it. Yeah. You must be a water energy sign of like in astrology or something. Are you? I'm actually, I'm very fire, but. um, Oh, are you? Interesting. Because, because some people, some people, you know, talk about, I've talked about this with one of my friends. They feel spirit come in as a nudge. So it's this sort of fiery push and, and, and almost like an impulse and. And they don't, they're like, why, why do I have to do this stupid thing? I don't understand, but they just feel this push. And then in retrospect, they're like, ah, oh, I see why I had to do that or not do that at that random moment in time, you know, where spirit nudged them. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely had that too, but I've just been amazed at, and I guess I use the water analogy because we, we had a, a number of years ago in a different house, we had a flood and, um, water can be very, very powerful. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. if there's a tiny opening, it's going to find a way in. And, um, and I've, I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that with, you know, when we get to that point of burnout where we're just dry or we're just, um, like that lack of vitality, I find that really interesting that that was the ICD code. That seems very intuitive and wise for an ICD. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To talk about vital energy, but um, but I think that's a beautiful, ex- such a simple example that that spiritual sustenance is um, is a powerful way to just begin to shift things, and then, like you said, then all of these other things come in, and then you find a course, and then you read about something that interests you, and you find a practice that you can do in a busy clinic or a busy workday. It's amazing. Yeah. And and I mean, how, how amazing t- is it to know that you have help, mm-hmm. that you are not doing it all alone? And I'm talking about our spirit helpers, angels, energy. How amazing is it to know that you're not alone? One of the main things, you know, one of my main motivations and one of the things that makes me the most joyful when I do group therapy or work with groups is hearing, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And now I know I'm not. And my heart always sings and goes, I, I hear myself in my head going, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> but I, I don't say that, but that's, it's just like my heart expands. Every time I hear people feel like, oh my God, I'm not alone. I thought I was the only one. And I thought I was the only one struggling. And oh my goodness, I thought I was, you know, I'm sorry to use this word, but like crazy. I've heard people say like, I thought I was crazy. I thought there was something wrong with me. And actually there was nothing wrong with them. It's just that they never shared their experiences or they're going through a tough time and just getting help in the reality, you know, the tangible 3D reality of the things didn't feel supportive enough. So how amazing is it to know that we have such an expansive array of helpers, even if you don't believe that, just the energies, how amazing is it to know that when you're sick, like I was last year, that I have all these, you know, tools beyond the veil, beyond what is visible to the 3D eye 
that can help me, that can come in and heal me, that can inform what I do next. So I think it just gives people, when you connect to your spirituality, when you enlarge your life a little bit by making more space, so much healing happens by creating space. You know, like if you give yourself space to just process something or you go to therapy and you talk about something, you're creating space. But then when you touch spirituality in whatever way you do that, if you expand your space outside of your home and just your 3D reality, it just gives this sense of like, ah, relief. And also um, helps you just connect again, you know? Um, Yeah. I, I feel like I keep going on these tangents. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. And I, you know, I describe it as I wrote a book called Expanding Vision. I'm an ophthalmologist. And so I there you go. that's that that's all that's required. And 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 I, you know, that whether it's the water analogy that I'm using or the softening your gaze, it's it's um inherent to us, right? So it's not we tend to think, especially as physicians, that oh, there are these gifted psychics or intuitives or you know, that's for someone else, not for me, but I really feel that that's part of the human experience. And that, um, this awakening that I feel like is happening, this normalization of that is, um, I hope, and I pray that it will shift or lessen some of the burden in the mental health space. You know, that some of that suffering I think is that we have forgotten Mm -hmm. and that remembering and creating space, maybe all that's necessary to begin to that remembering that we're not alone. We're not as alone as we think that we're not as um, I think burnout is a, is a process of feeling like you're alone too, right? No one else can do it. One, I can't find the right help. I, you know um, no one, no one has it as hard as me. I mean, I I've thought all of those things in stages of burnout. So I think it's a sense of connection and it's like, how do we find that? Yeah. And I mean, loneliness is an epidemic, right? There's a in um, minister of loneliness in the UK because of the aging population of the baby boomers and the amount of loneliness mm-hmm. um, and how that impacts their health. But I think it applies to all, all stages and phases of life, not just the elderly in that loneliness is an epidemic in itself. And spirituality is about connection. And even therapy is about connection. I mean, 80% of the outcomes in therapy isn't the, you know, procedures or the skills of the therapist or what they make you do or that kind of the interventions even that they've learned. It's actually just the connection. Do you feel seen, heard, valued as a person mm-hmm. by the therapist? So. It's all connection. Um, I do want to say that this connection, I think my biggest lesson over the last year, because I had a reaction to the COVID vaccine and then I got COVID and then it reactivated mono in me anyways. That's the short story. That's the short story, but there's a long story. Um, But ultimately, you know, I spent about eight months in a quantum soup, which is what I call my meditative state, because it just felt like a quantum soup (laughs) at the time. And 
I think one of the things that I've really taken away from that is one, listen to your intuition, even prior to this happening, I didn't one time. And then it kind of led me down this path. But two, at the end of all of this situation, I think what I learned is that when you're not integrated, when you're not, when you're leaving parts of yourself elsewhere and showing up to work and compartmentalizing and then going home and being a mom and then, you know, compartmentalizing that and then, you know, whatever, (laughs) you're just living your life compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. And that was for such a long time that was sort of set. It was advertised as a good coping mechanism, compartmentalize, leave your work at work, come home and do home, which I agree with to a certain extent. But if you continue living like that in these compartmentalized parts, you know, I was going to work, I was home, and then I was doing this stuff with my business that really nourished me. But also, you know, behind the scenes, like, you know, in any business, it takes a little bit of effort and work. But I also didn't want to give that up because that was my juice. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you continue living that way, you live separate in some way, you continue to compartmentalize, life will create a situation for you where you're forced or you're challenged to integrate yourself again, to bring your whole self to the table. Because even though I was doing a lot of mystical things, I was practicing my intuition, I wasn't really bringing it to my office space. I mean, I was in the sense that I would, you know, get like a picture in my mind and then use it as a teaching tool, but I wasn't bringing all my intuitive skills to my practice space, my clinical, my clinical work, because I felt like it was, it didn't belong there. And so through this illness last year and everything that happened, I realized, no, you can't do that. You need to bring your whole self wholeheartedly, right? The name of your podcast to every situation or as best as you can, because if you continue to compartmentalize and separate yourself in smaller, big ways for short or long periods of time, over time, you know, like your body, your life will create a situation where you're forced to bring yourself back together. You're forced to bring yourself to wholeness again. So, I mean, I had such a similar situation. I think it's very common actually among females female physicians, mm-hmm. likely I, I used to describe, um, you know, I have four children and I was pregnant during residency and in my early years as an academic physician. And, um, I would like, it would feel when I was walking into the hospital as if I became like a two-dimensional piece of paper. Like I literally felt myself shrinking. Whereas my husband could like bring out pictures of kids and talk about our family life. I felt like I shut that part of myself down in order to be a better surgeon or perceived as serious. I don't know what it was, but um, I was really aware that I was doing it and it was so depleting energetically, right? Like Jim would, my husband would talk about the kids and share funny stories and people would know of that aspect of his life. He's a surgeon. So, you know, when he was in the operating room and I would, I felt like I was a piece of origami, like paper that was folded, you know, Mm -hmm. like here I could be this way here. I could be this. And, you know, I ended up getting sick. So, so I think you're really onto something there that, um, and that we may create those situations because we long for wholeness. Yes. And, and life works towards wholeness, you know, and towards healing in some way. I, I truly believe that. And I know it's just one experience that I've had over the last 
year, but there are thousands of other experiences of people with the same experience. You know, your body and life works towards healing. You just have to make space for it. And I was talking about the two by four from the universe, like, which I think is another way of saying what you're saying that I think if we were aware and honest, like I had awareness of what I was doing and I knew it didn't feel great, but I, I had to be sort of knocked down to my knees with something in order to change. And I think the way, hopefully that our children, that like that my children and in the future, people will be able to see this before they necessarily need to suffer so direly. <laughs> that would be the dream anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm having a thought here. It's not well formulated and none of these thoughts are really well formulated, but um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see physicians in particular make, and this is my opinion, of course, <laughs> I have no research to back it up or anything. Please don't send me hate mail. Um, <laughs> um, is that they follow the prescribed path. You know, it says, this is what you do. This is how you are a successful physician. This is what you need to show up as. And yes, there's an element of um, benefit to that in that you need some standardized care. You need to learn some professional skills and all that. Of course, I'm not discounting those. And at the same time, I see a lot of physicians get stuck in that. Oh, I'm going to spend six years at this job because then maybe they'll offer me a job at this academic role for another 10 years. And then if I spend 10 years there, they may give me like a leadership role. And I've sat in facilitator trainings with the healthcare authorities and things. And and it just strikes me every time I hear people introduce themselves with the number of years in clinical practice. I think that is so valuable. It does speak to experience and, oh my goodness, the burden of the the clinical load that they've had to carry and the fact that they've managed it for all those years, right? But it just strikes me so as so interesting because everybody's, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm Dr. So-and-so with 15, 20 years of clinical experience, and I'm on all these subcommittees, and then they list at least half of them, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes less than half, right? Because they're usually on a lot of committees or whatever positions they've held. And and that may be because I'm pretty new into practice. I'm only four years out. So it always sort of strikes me that everyone introduces themselves as that. And at first I was feeling really nervous. Like, oh, I don't want to say, hi, I'm Dr. Irina. And I've been in practice for two years. <laughs> that just sounds like, you know, two years. Right. That has nothing on my 20. Come on, go away. You're not, you don't belong here, right? So I was sort of afraid of saying that. But I realized like, you know, I'm Irina and I'm really passionate about this and this and this, and this is what I can bring. And this is a little bit about what I've done. And yes, I'm only in practice for however many short years, it does not compare to yours, but I still bring value to this. And I still believe that there's a way forward without me having to invest 20 clinical years to do this work in physician health, to Mm -hmm. be recognized enough to say, oh, okay. You know, um, you've put in the time, so now you really understand the physician's mindset. Right. But you you can't do it until you put in the time. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I see most physicians make, and maybe other professional women too, is that they follow the prescribed path. They don't know their strengths. They don't know the unique qualities that they bring. 
intuitive or otherwise. And, and they're afraid to step off the path. They're afraid to step out of the box. Um, now, stepping out of the box has gotten me in trouble in small ways, right? But at the same time, you know, the box serves a purpose. I don't think it's serving us anymore. And that box, especially in medicine, um, something I always say is, you know, it was created in 1918. That was like when the first, it was called the Flexner Report, and it created the medical school curriculum for the first medical school class. That was 1918. And like, frankly, the medical school curriculum hasn't changed that much. It's changed in the last five years a little bit, you know, but it hasn't really changed that much in over a hundred years. Like that box, it doesn't fit anymore. We got to find new ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really beautiful sentiment. I wonder, Irina, is someone listening who, um, like maybe at my stage where they're aware that they're not integrating, you know, that they're being one version of themselves here and another version there. How do you, can you give any advice on how to begin that process? Maybe prior to getting sick or having an accident or trauma or something like that? Well, I think first stop the judgment. It's okay that you're not integrated. It happens to all of us and it's going to happen again. Yep. Because that's, that's life, you know, you separate and then you come and connect. You separate and you come to connect with yourself, with others, with spirit, whatever. It's it's just the process of life. So first, just some grace and kindness around the fact that you're not there yet. Second of all, I would say mindset. You have to believe that it's possible, even if you haven't seen it before. And then these may be a little bit my ADHD traits, right? Like I'm a divergent thinker. In that, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I can kind of, I, I sort of see things. I, I, uh, I'm like, oh, well, it hasn't been done before. It doesn't mean it can't be done now, right? So I think the second point is just believe that it can happen and that you can integrate mm-hmm. at work, at home. You can bring all parts of yourself, even if you don't see a way forward, even if, you know, I don't know, Marie Forleo or you have done it before, right? Like, or like they see other people doing it and then they're like, oh, now I can do it too. That's helpful. But also you have to just believe that it's possible for you, mm-hmm. even if no one else has done it in your industry, in your place of work and so on and so forth. And then and then I would say start bringing those parts of yourself that you leave elsewhere to the places that feel the most safe initially. It doesn't have to be at work first, right? Like authenticity is a big thing and bringing your whole self to the table partly is authenticity in in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So bring it to your friends or some trusted colleagues. Or if you don't have any trusted colleagues, then you know, have a frank conversation with your family. If if you're able to do that with your partner mm-hmm. and say, you know, there's these parts that I keep leaving at home or I keep leaving at the front door and turning into an origami paper when I walk into a work, like you said, and I don't like that. And start having those conversations with people. And then just try it, you know? 
and you don't have to let everybody know. You don't have to post it on social media. You don't have to like <laughs> let your clients know, but try it and take some notes and see what happens. You know, takes like after the fact, take a few notes and say, okay, that worked really well. Like, you know, the client had no idea that I brought my intuition into that or, or the client really responded because I was a little bit more authentic. Or, you know, I said something that may have been embarrassing, right? Or didn't look perfect. Like you could say to your client, oh, I'm so disorganized. You know how it is or something, you know, today. And that was a human moment, but a lot of people won't say that because it's not professional in some way, right? But you can try it and see how people respond. And in my experience, what I found is that I was much harsher as a critic to myself than patients or coworkers. You know, I, I think a, there was a lot of positive feedback from other people, and but I was the one judging myself. Mm. Yeah. So first, yeah, <laughs> first part. It's really interesting to notice, you know, you're like, oh, I put up all these roadblocks and it's me who's doing it. It's so frustrating, you know? Um, right. And most people respond, sorry to interrupt you here, but like most people respond, like I, I almost had this vision of you coming out somehow, like being yourself and people are like, oh my God, I'm so glad I could so happy to see you, yeah. like to really see you and who you are. Even if I'm your patient, like there's this joy that other people also get to be able to see you and who you are. Right. Because when we do that, we're giving others permission to do the same. And also just permission to, you know, um, love and be loved. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause they can, they can appreciate you. They can be like, Oh my goodness, you're here. All of you is here. Like, thank you for the surgery that you did on my eyes. And thank you for all of this. But also you're here. Like, it's so nice to see you like as yeah. a whole person. <laughs> that's really beautiful. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really beautiful way for people to begin. And it's pretty um, simple and you can be gentle with yourself. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Like you were saying, I mean, it can just be this intention that it's going to be different and that's enough to begin. Yeah. Yeah. Intention important. I forgot about that, but yes, intention, <laughs> everything follows intention, right? Well, Irina, it's been such a joy talking with you. I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing in the world, both for your patients and for physicians. It's really needed work. Um, and thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the talk. Yeah.